Welcome to the Close Knit Podcast, a podcast that showcases fiber artists from around the world. You're listening to episode 16, and this week I spoke to Sarah Belcher of Blue Highway Hand Dyes. Sarah lives in Texas, where she creates naturally dyed yarns from locally raised animals. We talk about her journey into dyeing and how she couldn't really imagine having acid dyes in her home around her family, so she looked for an alternative and found natural dyes. She then went on to create her own yarn bases for her natural dyes from Texas Rays, Merino, and Mohair. I especially love talking to Sarah about what her biggest bit of advice is. Her answer was, comparison is the thief of joy. I felt like that so accurately sums up this whole journey of running a small business and just being in the fiber arts world generally, and I think a lot of people can probably relate to this feeling. The show notes for this episode are available at closeknit.com.au slash podcast. Listen on for our whole chat. Thanks for tuning in. Hey guys, it's Ani. Just a quick interjection into the regular podcast scheduling. Um, sorry that I sound incredibly congested. It's because I am incredibly congested. Um, I just wanted to talk to uh, the community a little bit about running more of a traditional style podcast with sponsorship or perhaps a Patreon campaign. Um, and I've kind of grappled with how to how to handle the financial side of the podcast for a while and haven't exactly worked out what I want to do. But I wanted to pose the question to the close-knit podcast audience to find out what you guys would get value out of. I actually find a lot of the time with um, sponsorship on podcasts that I really like um, that I find out about people that I wouldn't have otherwise known about or maybe there's like an offer going on. And so I think sponsorship can be really beneficial as long as I'm not getting sponsorship from things I don't believe in, which is not something I plan to do, but I'd really love to hear your thoughts about whether you like sponsorship, whether you hate it and think it's gross and salesy, because that's really real as well, and I don't want to do that. Um, But I guess where I'm coming from is the reality of making the podcast is that it takes me probably seven to ten hours a week to do them, and they're beautiful, and I love doing them, and I absolutely wouldn't trade doing this at all. I love doing them. I'm just finding that it's really hard to give the podcast the time that it deserves um, without maybe some sort of financial backing to be able to enable me to take less time at my day jobs and more time doing this. I hope that that makes some sense. Um, I think as well, I'd love to start investing in more equipment for the podcast. At this stage, I just use my phone and I just use a free editing software and I use my computer inbuilt speakers. And so far it's going okay, but I'd love to over time be able to really expand out the podcast and have um, kind of plenty of a growth over time. Um, so yeah, so I hope that that makes some sense. I'd really love your feedback on what you'd prefer to see, whether that's a Patreon campaign, if you'd be Um, if you feel like you'd be willing to contribute to it on a monthly basis, um, or whether you'd like to see sponsorship. And yeah, thank you very much for listening. I know this is sort of annoying. (laughs) Um, If you want to get in touch with me about it, you can email me at hello at closeknit.com.au. You can direct message me on Instagram. I'm on there a lot. (laughs) Um, Again, my email is hello at closeknit.com.au or message me on Instagram or Facebook, but mainly Instagram, because that's where I hang out a lot. Um, Thank you so much for listening to the Close Knit Podcast. It honestly means the world to me, and every time that someone tells me that they listen to it, it's just, it makes my day. So thank you for showing up, and 
um, listening. And yep, I would love your feedback. So please get back to me. Thanks. Hey, it's Ani of Close Knit, and I'm here with Sarah Belcher of Blue Highway Hand Eyes. Hey, Sarah. Hi. How you going? Good. <laughs> Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, cool. So Sarah is in Texas, just outside of Houston. I'm still in my same old spot, Hobart, in Tasmania. <laughs> but we managed to find a time, given even though we have a huge time difference, to sit down and chat. Cool. Um, I'm going to just jump straight into it, Sarah. What's your fiber of choice and what sort of craft medium do you gravitate toward the most? Um, I would say mostly knitting and wool, or at least wool, wool, wool for the medium. Um, and knitting was my first craft of choice. And then the further I got into yarns, the more I wanted to make yarn and the more I wanted to dye yarn. And when I started thinking about dyeing yarn and, um, you know, the ventilator you would have to buy for acid dyes and doing that sort of thing, how that wouldn't really work in my kitchen. Um, and with three little kids running around, I thought, oh, well, natural dyes. And then you start looking into natural dyes and you realize you've got some in your compost bin. Yeah. And <laughs> like, I'm going to do this. This is great. Yeah. Um, and I love to garden. And so it, um, you know, seemed like a natural natural kind of progression with my fiber obsession. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Do you have a, is there like a wool, I know that you've just, you've got a wool blend from Texas, right? Can you tell me about that? I do. Yeah, so I ended up um, getting in touch, really I just googled, you know, Texas wool one day, and you do that and you realize there is a huge amount of wool and mohairs and Texas um, mohair from Angora goats. And um, I think Texas actually is the leading producer of mohair in the United States and vies, I think, with South Africa um, for leading producer of mohair in the world. Yeah. And, um, and a whole lot of wool, a whole lot of um, fine wool in particular comes from Texas, but uh, most of it is baled and, you know, washed and baled and sent elsewhere for um, fabric making. Mm. Um, not a whole lot of it, not a whole lot of it at all is held back for hand spinners or knitters or really crafters. Yeah. Sorry, I'm drinking my water. Um, <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> um, and anyway, so on, upon research, I found um, a ranch in west, west of um, Austin in the hill country, so yeah. a couple hours away from me, and um, they're the same. They actually bale 600, they sell their wool in 600 pound bales, um, mainly to clothing manufacturers and that sort of thing, or cloth manufacturers. And, um, but they do send a small amount of it to a mill in Pennsylvania. Mm. I thought, well, that's great. And so they work with a, um, Angora ranch that they're actually related to, um, called Stotts Ranch here in Texas. And, um, I thought, well, that's great. So I got in touch with the mill in Pennsylvania, and that's the yarn I'm most excited about dyeing right now. It's my Tex Ranch lace and worsted, um, which all is grown and raised here. And this guy is, he's a, it's Hillingdon, is the ranch where the super fine merino comes from. And he's a fourth generation rancher. Really cool story how his, oh gosh, great great grandfather came and, you know, started developing 
these sheep for their fleece. And he has some micron counts on his books that are just unbelievable, you know, really super, super fine. Yeah. Um, I think he, so anyway, yeah, I'm going to babble on about that. But um, I also, you know, I've gotten wool to dye from um, Mountain Meadow and Wyoming mm. and really enjoyed working with that as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, wool, pretty much obsessed with wool. Yeah, <laughs> I can relate to that. And it's, <laughs> I've come across other fibers and, and tried to get into them <laughs> or mm-hmm. tried to be open-minded about them. But ultimately, I just keep coming back to wool. And I don't know if it's because I'm in Australia, but it's always Merino. I want to be into the rustic stuff, but the softness of it, it's just, (laughs) that gets me, you know? It does. It does. And sometimes, you know, I'm into like a toothier wool. It almost like seems to go with your moods. Mm. Like what is uh, Brooklyn Tweed would be, um, what is it, a turkey? Yeah, yeah. Blend. And it's, you know, a and sometimes that just fits the bill. And almost, you know, I, I have, I'm one of those knitters that has a really embarrassing amount of uh, works in progress. <laughs> and so, <laughs> but I think that's a good thing. You can like, you know, if you're in the mood for a certain feel in the evening before, you know, if you're relaxing knitting, you can, you know, pick, pick what you feel. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's, feel that's, what you that's actually feel. true. That's really true. I do. I think for... I've realized for practicality of wearing certain garments, I like it to be merino, and there is a lot of that to work with here, so I like knitting with it, but it is interesting, and it's just interesting too, like, um, I sometimes will knit with some linen, and that's, a plant fiber is so different to an animal fiber. Have you worked with many plant fibers? Oh, 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 I want to love linen. I Mm. really want to love it, especially since we moved back down to Texas a year and a half ago. Yeah. I want to love it. I just, (laughs) and I love the garments that I've made with linen, but I don't love working with it. Mm. I just don't. Mm. Um, Maybe I haven't found the right one. I don't know. Um, I think I'm feeling the same way. I love the look of it. I have some sitting in my stash and I'm not knitting with it at the moment just because it's coming into winter, but I um I found the same thing of like really stoked about the possibilities and really excited about the fact that it would the garment would kind of change over time and feel really different to every and like you could wear it in summer but mm-hmm. then I started knitting with it and I was like oh uh, <laughs> like, I know it's like kind know. of painful and like kind of brittle and stuff but yeah I feel the same yeah cotton to me you know mm. can get the same there are some really nice cotton yarns but yeah you know, yeah. it's just, that's not the same on your hands. You don't have the lanolin. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know. Yeah, the wool just kind of glides And the smell, fingers. you know, I like, I mean, I'm, I'm a total yarn sniffer. Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> Me I'll too. be working on some. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I'm that person so. going into the yarn store, it's just like, just like yeah. <laughs> reaching in and having a smell. <laughs> yeah, and a cuddle, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. That's cool. Oh, I, I I wonder, can you tell me more? I know maybe this is, um, maybe you won't be able to tell me the exact story without it going on for <laughs> too many days, but <laughs> I'm so interested in how people make the connections with the mills and eventually find a way to buy the quantities that they might need. Like, Can you kind of tell me about how that process worked for you? 
I'm still figuring that out, mm -hmm. I think. And I think the pro so the very first thing I did when I first wanted to get my hands on some yarn to dye, I had the thought, well, I better buy good yarn just in case it's good enough to sell, you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Maybe it wasn't, and I didn't. Um, <laughs> but so I just, you know, start Googling American Mills. That's like the first totally have no idea what I'm doing thing that I did. And... Um, of course, you were gonna. I, I knew about Green Mountain Spinnery from the time I lived in Vermont, um, and they offer some really great yarns. Um, I think, well, and I found Mountain Meadow Mills in Wyoming also really, really great. Um, and then after moving to Texas, found just by sheer, I don't know, it was luck, coincidence, a wonderful thing that there's someone here not far from me opening a small independent mill, like really small scale mill for just this kind of area. And so um, in talking to her, I learned more that these mills um, will keep a, uh, you know, a, they, they kind of keep a stash of their own fiber. And so, um, you know, you can generally, I mean, all the mills that I've, you know, Shepherd's Mill too, I've worked with, like you can um, just write somebody and they're really happy just write somebody, admit that you have no idea what you're doing. And they're, this is the, that's, the, that's the blessing of the fiber community. They're really happy to tell you exactly what they're doing. And you don't need to be embarrassed about not knowing it when you first ask. And um, so anyway, that's, I found that they keep some of their own wool on hand. They have their own blends. You can buy something, usually at a cheaper cost, if, they've, if it's something that they already are blending and making runs of. If you want something of your own, then there's a minimum order yeah. and it gets a little scarier with the pricing and the commitment yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the amount of wool you're going to have in your house when your order comes in. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, family. Just <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, and go ahead. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. Keep going. That was perfect. That was perfect. Well, no, I, um, so recently, like my excitement working with, this small um, mill here in Texas, it's Independence um, Fiber Mill, Independence Fibers and um, Independence, Texas, near Brenham, yeah. um, where Texas A&M is, um, is that she will take, because she's a smaller mill, she will take a smaller kind of custom order, yeah. which is great. Yeah. Um, and so that was exciting to me. It made me look around more for um, smaller producers here near me that Actually, the one I'm thinking of doesn't have, you know, a Facebook or an Instagram or anything mm. like that. But she's got, you know, 80 some odd gorgeous Shetland sheep. And um, so I've got some sitting back there, like, <laughs> bags of, like Shetland fleece. I just, you know, yeah. um, emailed her and she said, yeah, come out. And I bought some fleece from her. And so that's my next kind of really small scale project is to take that fleece to my local mill that, you know, opened up a year or so ago and get that spun into just a little bit of yarn. Yeah. Um, so I think it's just, I think it's just diving in. It's just asking and exploring and finding. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think what you said about the fiber community being so open to just sharing, I think by and large, that's been my experience with it. And it sounds like a lot of people have had that same experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So nice. And it, gosh, that's, and that's the other thing I've been um, thinking about how, like, there are all these producers that have probably been around for ages and their families have been doing it and 
they don't have a website or they don't have any kind of like social media presence. And that's oftentimes <laughs> because I'm a bit of like an Instagram junkie um, is like how I find out about people that I, you know, mm -hmm. interested in working with. But I keep wondering, like, how do we connect these people who are doing things more traditionally with social media and this and that without like compromising the integrity of what they're doing without making them feel obligated to do it like right yeah do you know what I mean like how did you even if that per did that person have a website or something like how did you find out about the Shetland lady the Shetland lady I met at half this is you know things are just happening last year was the first ever Houston Texas Fiber Fest mm. um and I saw her there with her daughter and she was lovely and had these gorgeous fleece fleeces and I know I'm telling, I know I'm just there fondling the fleeces and I would really like to come out to your farm and yeah. so I would really like to have you at my farm. And, you know, so she writes her email down and it's like, get in touch when you can make it. And it wasn't, gosh, it was almost a year. No, it was maybe eight months later before I actually made it out there. But when I, sure enough, when I wrote her, she's, oh, I absolutely remember you. And oh, yeah. I mean, I think people doing that are doing it because they love it and they're so excited mm. when someone else is excited about it. Um, so true. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. so true. I think about that myself. It's like when someone gets excited about something that I'm doing, I'm like, oh, yeah, <laughs> this is yeah. awesome. Let's hang out. Let's be best friends. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that that's a good reminder to – find the events that are happening around you as well and actually go to them. Cause I can, I can be a bit complacent with that and just sort of like, Oh, I've got, you know, I've got the things happening. I've, I can sit behind the comfort of my computer. And <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that, you know, a lot of kind of the smaller producers or even the larger ones, because for instance, where my text ranch base comes from is a huge operation. Mm. Um, I mean, he's got, tons and tons and tons of wool that he produces every year, but he only keeps back a little bit of it for the mills and the rest of it. And it's their whole family has just been in it forever. And you wouldn't, I don't know, they don't need to be out on Instagram or social media, like pushing themselves. And, you know, I guess they've got this whole operation running and I don't know, you have to go, go out of your way to, to find them, even if they're big, well, you know, whether they're big or small. Yeah. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Because it's just a different style of running business that's kind of different to how people, well, how a lot of people approach it nowadays. Which is like start the social media page, then figure out what you're selling, and then grow a community yeah. from there and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was interesting too in his case, being a larger producer. Um, actually, the mill owner, you know, went out and toured his, the small mill near me. She, her name is Dawn. She went out and toured, and you know, he wasn't even really aware that there was such a huge market and desire among crafters or hand spinners or knitter, you know, knitters for this sort of whole farm to needle, you know, farm to fiber thing. Yeah. He, he's just got his operation where he bales his wool, he gets it washed in San Angelo and bales it and it gets stored. And then on the textile market, I mean, he, he was really shocked to know that yeah. <laughs> that we want what he has, you yes. know. Yes. I think that's such a key disconnect that's happening 
in Australia and in America and probably all over the world. But this is something that I'm constantly shocked by or constantly like, I don't know, I guess being in this community, it seems really obvious. It's like, of course, people are craving this stuff. Like they're, they want to know where it's coming from and they're asking for it. But, you know, the, I, I remember going to a friend's family farm and they were explaining to me what happens to their wool, which is basically what happens to all the wool in Australia, which is that it's auctioned off and then goes overseas, usually to China, becomes like gets mixed in with all sorts of other fibers and then becomes mm-hmm. suiting material or, you know, comforters, like just the stuffing inside other things. And I couldn't believe mm-hmm. that I'd just been to my friend's farm where I'd seen all these animals that were beautiful, so well looked after and that they were just like becoming who knows what. They never saw their stuff, you know? And I was like, have you ever seen anything made of your fleece? And he's like, well, I've gotten back suiting like italian suiting once it's become a suit but that's not just his animal you know so i was just there's this whole side of me that was like but don't you want to see it turn into something (laughs) and yeah and i was like but you know there's so many knitters and there's so many this and that and you should be turning it into yarn but it's just not it's not like a that's not where their mind goes naturally which is Mm -hmm. you know where my mind goes first thing of Mm -hmm. course but that seems to be I think that's like a real place where there is room for a lot of growth and room for a lot of branching of those sides. And, you know, they're sending it to overseas because the auction price is the best they're getting. But if we can keep it local and we can pay for it. Or at least more part of it, it local. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Some of I it. I know. Yeah. yeah. Even if it's not the whole pie, even if it's just a tiny mm-hmm. slice of the pie. Like, I think I was reading that um, Australia produces, has like, oh, 70 million sheep or something and just so mm-hmm. many like kilos and tons of wool every year it's just like where is it all going mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah yeah it's just on the mass textile market mm. but even then I mean that's an exciting thing that's happening it's you know this whole the whole notion of slow fashion mm. you know people are going to want to know not just it's not just us not just hand you know knitters and spinners and handcrafters it's um, you know, people want to know where the fabric came from that made their clothes, yeah. and eventually, there's gonna need it's gonna need to be able to be traced back to these great family farms. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. So. Yeah, the traceability aspect of it is so huge. Cause like, um, I was thinking about this too. Like the overseas thing isn't. It's an environmental problem in that it's traveling too far, <laughs> but right. it's not necessarily a human rights problem if if it's transparent, if we know that the factories right. are, are being well looked after and people are being paid a fair wage. So it's sort of, I think it really does come back almost always to a level of traceability and transparency. Right. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. I feel like I de- derailed that into a whole other conversation. <laughs> no, I'm really good at derailing conversations. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's great though. I think that's, I think it's so important to have these conversations and For me, it's been listening to podcasts that I've started learning about, like Superwash, and started learning about all these processes that I had no idea were happening Mm -hmm. to yarn. And that, yeah, I guess if I figure if we can get a couple of these conversations happening every so often that people listen to, and then they go, oh, I didn't realize that. Like, I hadn't thought about the fact that it was not traceable and it was being shipped somewhere else. Like, I think that's a good thing. Yeah, or inspire people to go find out who's raising sheep, you know, within a couple hundred miles of them. And, yeah. 
you know what? Send them an email and say you think that's awesome. And do they sell the handcrafters? Yeah. Well, you're making me want to go find go? all the shelves around me. Because there are so many. Gosh, there's so many in Tasmania. It's like, well, can I have some of that, please? Yeah. Yeah. Go visit. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, I know we've talked a bit about things that you're excited about, but can you tell me what you'd say your favorite part of the fiber arts world is? Um, I say the versatility, the thought that there, there's the word fiber arts, you know, encompasses so many skills and so many crafts and I want to do them all. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> um, I have total craft ADD. Yep. And <laughs> um, so I, I just, I love that I can have a stash of fiber or yarn and one day if knitting is not cutting it for me, then I can try my hand at spinning. And if I'm really frustrated with that, as is the case more often than not, then I can weave, you know, yeah. which I've lately kind of gotten into and found that really kind of soothing and mm. easy and like something I like to do when I'm kind of more tired. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I like that. I like, I mean, tatting. I mean, that's uh, something I've never even tried. I used to work at a yarn shop, and a woman came in with her, like, tiny, tiny, tiny thread lace work. You know, it's like a detail work, collar work. And I thought, oh, my gosh, that was like a whole new fiber art that I had never heard of. Yeah. And um, embroidery, I mean, there's so much. There's, there's just so much to do. I know. <laughs> Literally this morning I was messaging a friend of mine who lives in Canada being like, I think I want to felt. What do you think about felting? Oh, you, is felting really yeah, naff? Like, is it cool? Could I felt something? And I was like, this whole like inner dialogue of like, what about an indigo dyed kimono that's like a felted thing? And she was like, I'm yes. into it. I'm really into it. <laughs> I was like, okay, I think I I'm going to learn always, to felt. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you should felt. And then if it goes wrong, you can just make it into a dryer ball. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's what that is. That was my first felted um I tried to make a little felted booty which oh, didn't cute. went awry and um <laughs> so now you can always kind of like keep felting yeah and make dryer balls oh, yeah clever I was thinking um, like it could be cool for little placemats and kind of coasters to start with just to experiment with like yeah. texture and color and I was yeah imagining a lot of indigo and yeah. <laughs> yeah. Really and if you at the moment. <laughs> oh yeah. 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 And if you knit like a gigantic sock on accident, if it's hundred percent wool and not super washed, you can felt it. Felt that down. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. And there's always a save. I feel like in fiber arts too, like nothing is ever, yeah. no effort is wasted. Yeah. And I didn't even mention dyeing, of course, dyeing. Yeah, um, exactly. There's yeah. so many elements. It's so cool. I think I, I think that's probably my favorite part of it too. I hadn't, hadn't even thought of that. Cause I, I think because I so inherently like use the term fiber arts so loosely but I think that's so true sometimes we don't even realize the versatility of it but there is you know it's I think it's part of why I do the podcast because I want to be like look at all these people doing all these totally different things that I would yeah. still consider fiber art <laughs> like yeah it's all I mean even sewing is fiber art yeah exactly I mean and that's another thing I'd like to be better at but <laughs> mm-hmm. out quilting I saw your quilt. Oh my God. I bought fabric. I ordered this 
insane stash of fabric from Fancy Tiger Crafts because I made the mistake of going on their website and be like, oh, I want that, I want that, I want that. And uh, yeah, so it's sitting over there and um, one day it's going to be a quilt. Yes, quilting. <laughs> that is a, that's the one, that's sort of my like, this is the one day I'm going to do this properly and it's going to look really nice, but one day. But for now it's one very day. like, I'm just throwing things together and seeing what sticks, <laughs> like literally sticks together. <laughs> yeah. 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 I think I, I think my my method is going to be squares, and then one of the like one time I found this awesome quilt. I loved it until it absolutely fell apart at a um, thrift store, and it was something that someone had made. This was very obvious, and it was one of those quilts that's uh, I know there's a term for it, I don't know it, um, where it's not machine quilted or anything. It's, it's just it's got like yarn sewn up, kind of holding all the layers together, yeah. like sewn up and knotted. Yes, yeah. I don't know what that's called. That's, so that's what I'm, that's my dream. That's what I'm going for. Yeah. That's nice. Cause then you can really work with a nice palette and just, and that just speaks for itself. Just squares. Yeah. Do you ever see, um, I think her Instagram is sugar house workshop. Yes. Nice. Oh, it makes me miss Vermont. Like you wouldn't believe I have to, yeah, I have to look away sometimes. It makes me miss Vermont so badly. And she has a little, she has a little boy, I right? So, it's yeah. like, gorgeous and playing with gnomes and things um and that's that was me when my youngest was we lived in Vermont when she was like one to four or zero six months to four and that was like my perfect little land <laughs> but yeah I love her feed I, I am yeah I love that that's like that, those are my dream quilts to eventually make just like have lots of little pieces oh. of naturally dyed linen like indigo and turmeric and avocado pits and stuff and then... oh, there's another one um that has oh what is it? she used to be um farm mama sarah i think on instagram and she changed it recently um she has she's in i think she's in colorado and also another like mm. homeschooling you know farm and mama and she makes these gorgeous gorgeous quilts is she folk fibers is that her? no oh she's in austin is she in austin okay she's, I wasn't uh, sure. yeah, yeah okay there's too many we'll have to link to all of them in the show notes because <laughs> yeah. i want to check our quilt them dreams. Out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so yeah good. yeah but so yeah versatility that's it there's so much there's so much for a crafty person you never get bored yeah you never yeah i'll never get bored with it i will never get bored with fiber arts and yeah. you know drop it yeah, I think so too. I think like there's sometimes talk about like, oh, is fiber arts just a trendy phase? I'm like, not for me. No, <laughs> no. And it's always been here. It's yeah. just, I mean, and and that's 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 something that kind of amazes me too. It sometimes it feels like this is oh, this is a new thing, you know. Hmm. <laughs> I made this crazy looking wall hanging, and I like show my mom and she's like oh yeah you know we used to do macrame in the 70s you know yes, <laughs> the, yeah. like so it's not new it's just that you know our ability to share it all and kind of share excitement over social media is new but yes it's all been there yeah it's exciting that it's it's exciting that it's getting you know kind of recognition and attention though yeah I agree do you remember how you first learned like your first fiber art was it knitting uh, actually I learned to crochet as a kid mm. but um I think I was very creative but I didn't really have you know patience 
my mom sewed a lot. You know, she sewed a lot of our clothes and she taught me how to crochet and she always said, oh, I used to knit, but she, um, she's a crazy knitter now, but um, she didn't at that time. So I learned to crochet as a kid mm. um, and dropped it and um, came back to knitting actually when I was living in Vermont because it seemed like the <laughs> thing to do. We'd moved up there. We didn't have any friends. I had a you know baby at home and um, like, yeah, I'm going to go. I actually wandered into this little yarn shop in um, Woodstock there and uh, was convinced to take a class and... That's, it was all over after that. <laughs> was it just I think like a learn, learn to knit class? Do you remember what It was, was just a learn to knit class. I remember we made um, beanies, um, but they were like, it was really smart. It was like a rolled hand um, seamed beanie. So you like learned all sorts of, you learned decreases and seaming and everything kind of all at once. Yeah. Was it over the course um, of a few classes? Oh yeah, it was, yeah, cool. I feel like it was like six weeks or something. I remember there was homework that was, you know, you need to knit a little every night. You know, you need to, because it's muscle memory, you need to, you know, knit a few stitches at least every night. And I remember like finishing a row felt so hard. Yeah. <laughs> like, I have to finish a row before next Saturday. I don't know if I can. <laughs> but yeah, I love, and actually I still have the beanie. Um, it was big. And I felted it on accident by, I, you know, not, you know, like just throwing it in the wash. Um, but then it fit better. There you go. <laughs> the so, yeah, I knit beanies. There you go. Exactly. I stuck to beanies for a while. And then um, I remember I, my huge project was, um, I'm gonna, I found on like the Lion Brand website, um, I'm going to knit this enormous um, from homespun, like, Lion Brand homespun mm -hmm. um, circular blanket. Oh. Um, so then I just kind of dove in and taught myself how to um, cast on to circular needles. And I remember like laying them all out on the floor and like moving my body around the needles. It was crazy <laughs> as I like learned how to do it because <laughs> I was afraid to like pick up all four of them. <laughs> oh, I don't even touch oh. double pointed needles. I stick to circulars. I'm too scared. <laughs> <laughs> it's like too many needles at once I just I, something about it freaks me out <laughs> yeah yeah well I know I, I prefer circulars too but anyway yeah I learned so I learned in Vermont and um kind of came and went with it and then we moved to Alexandria Virginia in the DC area and um I found my yarn shop there and shortly after that um Fiberspace opened up and like I ended up working there for a little while and that's when it was really all over because then you have like a staff discount on yeah. some of the finest yarns in the world. <laughs> and then you're seeing when all the new yarns come in and everything. Oh, and you're ruined. Yes. Like, yeah. So that was it. And then really there was where I was, I was super inspired by everyone's creativity and how everyone you know, comes at it differently and makes gorgeous things. And that's where I started wanting to dye yarn after saying, oh my God, this is an art. You know, mm -hmm. people are, are making their yarn into art. And yeah, yeah. that's, that's kind of what really got me going. Yeah. And now I'm this person who brings knitting everywhere. Like even if I don't knit more than four stitches, like it's in my hands during all the time. <laughs> yeah. I can also relate 
relate to that. It's almost, I'm not sure if you feel this way, but it's almost like a security blanket sometimes. <laughs> it absolutely, it absolutely is. Um, it is. Yeah. Like I get, I find I get really anxious in the car. Um, but we take a ton of road trips and like, I, I, you know, obviously I'm not knitting if I'm driving, but it's there. Mm. And then if, you know, someone else is driving, it's in my lap. Even if I'm not knitting on it, it's like, it's there. It is. Yeah. I feel the same way. And whenever I have to, I can get a bit sort of anxious when I have to wait long periods of times for things. Like, it's, oh, I don't, what do I do? And I'm like, oh, okay. Knitting. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Got the knitting. Yeah. Life is gone. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's, yeah, definitely a security blanket. That's okay, I think. I think so, too. <laughs> and I think especially okay if you know that. it's your thing, like, it's kind of, I don't know. <laughs> it's all right. <laughs> well, it's better, you know, I think uh, phones are a security blanket for, mm. I mean, I know I've used mine that way, and you're like, you know, waiting for somebody or whatever, I'm going to look at my phone, but I'd rather have knitting be <laughs> Yeah, that, and then it's kind of a conversation about... starter. People come up and they're like, oh, what are you knitting? And Yeah. yeah. See, yeah. now you have to start spinning in public. That mm. is really a... I wouldn't do that because it is not pretty when I spin, but... <laughs> uh, <laughs> but that's that's a real conversation starter. I have had friends who will, you know, sit at a bar and spin. <laughs> really? With like a drop spin? Oh, yeah. Sit. That's awesome. Oh, yeah. oh that's yeah. so awesome. You have badass friends. Yeah. <laughs> These are like my fiber friends around the yarn store in Virginia, but yeah. That's so great. That's so great. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, well, a question that I love asking people because mostly because I'm interested in it, but I think that it could, a lot of people can value, like get value from it is it's a question of motivation. Like, how did you originally find motivation in your craft? How has that motivation sort of changed as you've taken on a business? And yeah, what does that sort of look like for you? Hmm. Well, let me try to get back to to natural dyeing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> knitting, knitting, knitting. Um, oh, I, my unique, I think, motivation is, like I said, I have craft ADD. You know, I tend to like get really excited about a project and start it and then kind of lose steam. And for whatever reason, for me, natural dyeing has been something that I feel a need to stick with. Like, mm. it just feels like that thing that I don't care if nobody buys it. I don't care if I just end up with this stack, you know, like hoarder's office full of yarn I dye. Like, I'm going to stick with this. I'm going to do this. Mm. Um, so maybe that's it. Maybe that's I don't know, motivation to follow through um, on something and to stick with something. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's like, it's, it's the, the craft that's sticking. I mean, knitting is always there in the background, but I just, I would, and with Blue Highway, having started it, that was like a big step for me to start a business and I've been really conscientious, I think, about growing it slowly and I think that's knowing my tendency to be all about something this is it this is you know and then and then let it fizzle knowing that I have that tendency I've really kind of not jumped all into natural dyeing mm 
um, like I've, I've kind of been tiptoeing in <laughs> because I mean, I actually started the business, um, nearly, you know, it was two years ago in February. So, you know, two and a half years ago. And I sometimes, you know, I try not to compare, but I look at other, you know, na other dyers and you're like, you know, you see what they've done in a year and I think, oh, geez, <laughs> I am not that far yet. And my business is, you know, nearly three times as old as yours, but, um, I don't know. Yeah. I, I'm just motivated to stick with it. And for me to do that, I think going kind of slowly and making sure I'm just being conscientious about every little step I take and not taking on so much. I kind of re have refused to let it become a stress. Mm. So, you know, that's why I, I think I've only updated my Etsy store maybe four times. I really had put off sending any yarn out into the yarn store world until recently, um, you know, because I, I'm just, I'm just trying to not bite off more than I can chew. Yeah. Um, and my, also my, part of my motivation is, um, you know, it's, I've moved to Texas, um, getting really excited about, like I was talking in the beginning about Texas fiber. Um, and so it, part of going slow too, is just, it takes time to make the connections and to try to make something, um, I don't know, approachable, smaller, graspable, um, it, it takes time to find ranchers that don't have Instagram accounts <laughs> and, um, get their yarn to the mill. And then it actually takes quite a while for the mill to process your order. And I don't know, just becoming kind of okay with, with going slow. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So that I'll follow through. I think that's yeah. a really important realization that you've had of yourself. Like you can recognize that you have a tendency to be like, super excited and then drop it so that you are kind of mindful of like cool okay i i am really excited about this thing but i want this one to be a slow burn but play it cool it's like yeah, yeah. it's like if you like really like somebody you're like oh my god really, but i need to play it cool you know? yes, yes. <laughs> i really like natural dying but so treat your, cool, business, slow. treat your business like and a really cute away. crush yes <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that. that's it too, because I, I do feel super inspired and that's, I've got all these ideas that swim around in my head, what I want to do with the business, you know, long-term the whole business where I see it going in five or 10 years. And then even just what I want to put onto the yarn, like the ideas for colors. I mean, they're all swimming around and I realize that if I jumped into it too fast, it's going to just like bleh, splatter everywhere. Yes. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. Just like slow down one little thing, one little connection, one little step. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, and those are actually huge steps. Like I think we often don't give ourselves enough credit for the steps that we are making. Like you'll do something right. you'll kind of go, Oh, I only did that today or I only did that this month. And it's like, that's amazing. Like, yeah. The fact that you have the potential to get a bag of fleece spun at a local mill, that's huge. Yeah. Like most, I can't think of many people who have that sort of, you know, have that ability because it's not available to them or they haven't tried, you know? So that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. No, definitely. <laughs> I think I'm we excited. have to say those things to ourselves, you know? Like, yeah. 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 Be your own 
kind of cheerleader. Yeah. I don't think I'm not, I'm not sure if I answered your question about what motivates me. Um, I don't know. I don't know if I answered that, but yeah. No, that's fine. That's perfect. Do you, um, do you feel like with knitting, like just purely knitting, not like knitting to sell or anything, just knitting for yourself or knitting for people around you, do you like, what do you find about that sort of gives you motivation to keep knitting more projects? Oh, um, I'm definitely, I, I guess it's, um, process knitter. Like mm. I just knit to knit. Um, sometimes I'm really excited about a project, but you know, going into what I said before, I can get really excited about like, Oh, I want to wear that vest. You know, I need to own that vest and have it in my closet. But, um, <laughs> I know I have 800 works in progress so um, I've just accepted the fact that like yeah sometimes and that's that's the beauty too of having so many whips is one day you can have like this week where oh my god I finished like nine things this week you know they've been on the needles for nine years but I <laughs> um, so yeah it's it's not it's not really projects or wanting or wearing anything, you know, wanting to have an item that keeps me knitting. It's just, you know, I think it's, it's something that kind of quiets my mind. I knit a little bit every night to just shut down. Um, yeah, it's, it's my security blanket. <laughs> like, I make myself like seem like a crazy knitter now, but it is, it's like, it's just something that I really like to do. Um, and like the one pattern that actually I think I have two patterns out there, but my latest is um, lost in thought is what I called it because that's, and it's just knitting in circles. Like I changed the needle size a little bit, like to keep me awake, but that's the kind of knitting. Like if I could just knit tubes all day long like at a nice loose gauge, that's like where I want to be yeah. in my head is just, um, stock a net on circular needles or garter stitch and just knit, you know, mm. it's, you, it's definitely, it's definitely, it's a meditation. That's yeah. what it is. It's, it's a meditation for me, I think. Yeah. Do you find that your knitting is, um, never accompanied by other things like podcasts or movies or do you, you like, it's the Oh Yeah. Well, no, it, it is accompanied. Um, I cannot, I mean, years of knitting, I cannot, and I, I definitely know knitters who, you know, are knitting and not even looking at their needles and they're watching TV. I have never been able to do that. Um, I just end up making all kinds of holes. Yeah. Um, but I do listen to audiobooks. I listen to audiobooks like crazy. Mm. Um, I find that's the only, like now that I knit, it's, it, I used to be a big reader. I love literature. But when I became a knitter, like more devotedly, I found I was really not a reader anymore. It was like one or the other for me. Yeah, yeah. So audiobooks have been a revelation. Like, oh, I can still, you know, educate myself a little bit while I zone out and, you know, knit. Um, but yeah, I, I do do other things, you know, I, the same way, like knit anytime I'm waiting you know, if you're at a doctor's appointment or in the pickup line for me, picking up the kids at school. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that's common. I think the, um, 
I'm the same with sort of like TV watching and stuff. I don't really, like I'll sometimes put something on in the background, but it's usually something I don't care about because I'm like, well, Mm -hmm. this is really just noise. Like Mm -hmm. (laughs) I just want to have something feeling like it's going because I can't actually watch it properly. I'll miss a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, if it's something my husband's picked, <laughs> I really want to watch. Like, yeah, let's watch this together. I'll be present. In it. <laughs> I'll be here, honey. <laughs> yeah, I'm here. <laughs> I love that. Um, what is your biggest bit of advice that you have for someone who's just starting out with fiber arts? And that can be whatever you want to, like, whatever avenue you want to go in, whether it's knitting or natural dye or business or whatever. Or any of it. Yeah. Um, so I've been thinking about this. I think, I mean, the only advice I can give is advice I give myself mm-hmm. on a daily basis, and it, I think it goes for anything. My number one thing I say to myself over and over is, comparison is the thief of joy. Whoever quote that was? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's just really don't, And when I've taught beginning knitters, I don't knit in front of beginning knitters that I'm teaching. You do not, you know, don't look at what I'm doing and then look at what you're doing and you're not going to love what you're doing, (laughs) you know? And so I'm constant. I think that's, if you're learning something new, um, like I'm learning to spin, I try not to look too long at, look long enough to be inspired. Don't look long enough to, you know, get jealous or feel less about your own efforts um so yeah and that and that's really tough in the age of social media like and your crafts and in life (laughs) not to to compare um something for me I think um and my dying in business is um, not being afraid to call myself an artist, mm. you know? Mm-hmm. And I feel better about my work when I allow myself to call myself an artist, mm. you know? And I think anyone who makes things by hand can call themselves that if that makes you, like, feel good and yeah. appreciate your efforts more. Yeah. That's kind of helped me in my business to take myself a little more seriously, I think. Mm. Um, and to be kind, be kind to yourself. Like we were kind of talking about earlier, be your cheerleader. You know, I find like with, when I have taught beginner, um, knitters, you know, it's, they're so hard on themselves. I'm sure I was hard on myself when I was learning like, oh, this is crap. (laughs) You know, like you say these things that if you were teaching, you know, your childhood self to knit would you say that to a child no No. or would you say that to anyone like don't say it to yourself that's so right Um, gosh yeah yeah ah I all of those sorry I just have to pause and like take them in because I think I think the comparison one comes up a lot especially in these conversations that I'm having with people and but to say it in those words comparison is the thief of joy like I think that Mm -hmm. just makes it resonate a lot more deeply you can be like oh don't compare yourself blah 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 but it's easy to hear those but not internalize them but then to really think Mm -hmm. about it in that way of like oh yeah this is robbing me of something that I have like a joy joy that I'm feeling Mm -hmm. over a thing that I accomplished and I Mm -hmm. shouldn't then yeah I feel like it makes it easier to not put so much stake in that feeling even if maybe you feel it like you want to compare you're tempted to maybe it's easier to like I don't know yeah shut it down yeah shut down that (laughs) feeling 
Yeah. Shut it down. Yeah. yeah. And I have to, when I, because I think I'm becoming kind of an Instagram junkie too. And I love that it, there's this place to share, for people to share their triumphs and the great things that they're creating. And, but at a point where it, you look too long, <laughs> you know, yes. like, it's like you have to peel yourself away to stop, just put it down. Yeah. Um, and I, my, uh, she's six now, the time she had my five-year-old, um, knit this crazy thing for spring break and uh, it was in the car it was really tough I wasn't driving it was really tough for me to not knit while she was knitting but I had to not knit next to her while she was knitting because I knew she would see what I was making and then her thing yeah. I actually got a picture of it up on Instagram and she'd be like oh this isn't you know this is messed up look at all these mistakes all these holes but I put away my knitting and was just like yeah, that's great. Yeah, look, you made a yarn over. That's, you know, a design element. <laughs> yeah. And she, but by the time she finished this crazy looking thing, she didn't even know what it was. She didn't know what she was making. She was in love with it. Mm. She loved it. Turned out it was this like crazy hat that had ear holes for the dog. Um, <laughs> but, you know, she, nothing took her joy because she didn't, wasn't comparing it to anything. Mm. And, and that was a lesson for me, I thought. Yeah, I need to love what I'm putting my time into and making without saying, oh, it doesn't look as good as that or, yeah. you know, and same thing with my business. Like my business isn't there yet. Well, no, I mean, I haven't put that amount of work into it because mm -hmm. I've been portioning it out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, it's, you're always going to have that voice in your head when you're especially when you're running a business or something of kind of that's not quite there it's like that Ira Glass quote where he talks about you have good taste so you know that you're not living up to that but you just need to keep putting in the hard yards because eventually you'll yeah. be able to keep going yeah like take that mental picture that you have and translate it really well into what it is that you're creating so it's like don't let that that first bit of you have the great taste so you know that your work isn't quite there don't let that stop you from doing it, you know, like I'm yeah, just quoting him point. all over the place, but it's, I'll have to post it in the show notes because it's a great, it's a really great sort of way of looking at, I think, looking at things, knowing that, yes, I want to take it to this place, but it's not there yet. And it doesn't mean I shouldn't do the bits in between to get to that place. So Yeah. And it doesn't mean you shouldn't appreciate wherever you are, mm. you know, and what whatever you have made for what it is. My first weaving, I'm, it's really pretty like, um, looks like my first weaving, <laughs> but I love it. I, you know, I learned all, I learned all sorts of things from yeah. it. Um, yeah. So yeah. Yeah. You know. Those first projects are important. Like I just took apart a cropped sweater thing. Like that was really important for me to try a couple of years ago to realize that like sweaters aren't scary I can knit a sweater but then yeah. realizing like okay that wasn't something that I wore or that like suited my body so I'm just gonna take it apart but that I don't regret that lesson you know yeah yeah I think that's good advice too you can always come back to things mm. you know you especially always... with knitting <laughs> especially yeah especially with knitting mm. so yeah 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 cool um, well, I always kind of close it out with asking who we need to be following in the fiber arts world that you're aware of, because I always get a lot of great answers and a lot more people to follow. <laughs> I know. Um, I 
love following botanical colors mm. on both their Instagram and Facebook and blog. Yep. I love it all. Yeah. Um, I have learned a lot through um, her, Kathy, Kathy's blog. Yeah. Um, she's so free with her knowledge. Um, and that's something else I really loved. Um, so a couple of other natural dyers on Instagram, 44 Clovers, okay. um, Dogwood Dyer, yeah. um, and Sasha Dewar. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but it's D-U-E-R-R. -R. I think she even has a book coming out soon. Okay. They are so just free with their, you know, experiments and their knowledge. And it's, you know, inspiring and also um, teaching. You know, mm. no one is, that's the great, you know, we're all so great in the fiber arts world. No one is holding on to their knowledge and my, this is my trade secret. I'm not going to share it. You know? Yes, <laughs> I love that. It's just this great, you know, sharing. Yeah, I think that's um, so I also like. It is. It is. I like Fiber Shed. I'm sure everyone's already following them. I love what they're doing. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, they're offering um, avenues for you know different areas of the country to create their own fiber sheds. Yeah. Um, and advice on how to do that. Yeah. Um, and then other than that, I say find your, you know, find your local producers and if they're, find them and follow them if they're there. <laughs> Literally just follow them around. <laughs> just, yeah, just talk to them. <laughs> Can I just shadow yeah. you for a while? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's my plan. I have a, I have a number for a shearer in Tasmania who I plan to call oh. and be like, where, where is your fleece going? Yeah. yeah. Well, he or she will know where all the fleeces are. Yeah. Yeah. All the places, please. Yeah. Because apparently most of the, I was talking to a woman who had a flock and she was like, oh, pretty much all of the colored fleece just gets dumped. Like they don't know what to do with the blacks and browns. And I was like, oh, oh no. blasphemy. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. Yeah. Anyway. Oh man. That's too bad. I know. Is there a lot of alpaca? Not heaps. There's a there's, I've seen a lot of small farms of alpaca, like really tiny okay. bits, or not heaps in Tasmania. Um, I'm actually going up to an alpaca mill next week to teach there, so I'll be able to report back on the alpaca situation <laughs> a bit more cool. fully then. <laughs> or by the time uh, the podcast comes out, I will have come and gone, but <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. Thank you so much, Sarah. It was great chatting. Yeah, it was great chatting. I hope I didn't ramble on. No, it was perfect. <laughs> was too great. You've just listened to episode 16 of the Close Knit Podcast. If you're enjoying the podcast, please consider reviewing and rating it on iTunes to help us spread the word. I mentioned earlier in the podcast that I'm looking at finding a way to uh, get financial backing for the podcast, whether this is through sponsorship or a Patreon campaign. Um, I'd just love to get some feedback from the actual listeners of the Close Knit Podcast to find out what sort of thing you'd prefer and what you would get value out of. So if you want to get in touch with me, you can email me at hello at closeknit.com.au. And if you're a person who's like, hey, I think I want to sponsor the Close Knit Podcast, which would be awesome, you can email me at hello at closeknit.com.au or message me through Instagram. I'm close underscore knit on Instagram. Um, so yeah, if you'd love to, if you'd want to talk to me about that, I'd really love to hear from you. Um, get in touch and thanks again for listening. Cheers.